Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The next seven passages constitute a set of messages to each of the seven churches identified in chapter 1. Remember, these churches were real, historical churches, but the warnings and teachings of each of these letters are also here for our benefit. In each of these letters, Jesus is identified as the author of the letter using one or more of the descriptors of Jesus from chapter 1. The letters typically include some notes of praise as well as notes of concern or even rebuke and conclude with a promise. In this passage, we have a note to Ephesus, probably the largest and most important of the seven cities mentioned. You'll probably know that the letters are written to the angel of the church rather than the church directly. Back in chapter 1, Jesus is seen holding seven stars, which are identified as the angels of the seven churches. Without going too in-depth here, it's likely that John is indicating that, the, indicating that each church had a representative angel who was over it in some way, who was responsible for it in some way, to the point that he was identified with that church. It's a reminder to these Christians and to us that we truly are engaged in a cosmic spiritual battle, not one of mere flesh and blood. But that also means we have some good reinforcements on our side. Jesus is described as the one who walks among the lampstands. Going back to chapter 1, the churches are the lampstands, and it's likely that the empowering light of the lamps is the Spirit. Just like the priests would tend the lamps in the tabernacle, so Jesus tends the lamps in his heavenly court. We'll keep that in mind. Jesus praises the Christians in Ephesus for their work, toil, and patient endurance, three characteristics of Christian living that Paul says stem from faith, hope, and love in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Specifically for the Ephesians, this has come out in their intolerance of false teachings. This comes up twice in the short letter. First, they have rejected certain teachers who have called themselves apostles, but are not. Christians need to remember that sometimes the greatest threats to the faith come from within, from those who call themselves friends and present themselves as Christians. Paul warned in 1 Corinthians 11 that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. For this reason, it takes careful discernment and strong knowledge of God's word to identify and unmask the enemy. Second, the Ephesians Christians hate the work of the Nicolaitans. There's little known about this group. We know that Jesus hated their works too, 
we know that in some way their error was similar to those of Balaam, because Jesus brings this up in verses 14 and 15 in the note to the church in Pergamum. It might well be the case, as others have suggested, that the Nicolaitans were teaching that one could participate in the idolatry of ancient Ephesus. Ephesus was home to the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It is said that thousands were employed at this temple, to say nothing of the local idol-crafting trade and the hospitality industry that sprung up around so many religious pilgrimages to the site. As Paul found out in Acts 19, the Christian message was a threat to the Ephesian way of life. It's reasonable to imagine a group of Christians making the case that one could be a good citizen, well-liked by the population, get along with the worship of Artemis, even enjoy and support that worship from time to time as a matter of being a good member of the community. It didn't necessarily mean that you believed it or that you would choose it for yourself, but you could be happy to participate. And at least on the margins, you would be able to ease the social discord. It seems that the Christians in Ephesus largely did not take that bait to their credit, but it does make us ask, are we willing as Christians to compromise with our culture's idols for the sake of cultural peace? However, Jesus has a complaint against the Christians in Ephesus. You have abandoned the love you had at first. This is often suggested as meaning that the Ephesians were doctrinally pure but uncaring. They weren't heartfelt. They had sharp minds but hard hearts. But that's likely not what Jesus has in mind. Rather, consider Matthew 24, where Jesus mentions temptations to follow false teachers in the same breath as love going cold and the gospel nonetheless being witnessed to throughout the earth. This connection between love and witness is an important one in the Bible, but our Western ears don't hear that very well when we read the word love. The love the Ephesians had at first was their evangelistic fervor, their prior commitment to preach the good news about Jesus. Though the Ephesians had done a great job protecting the flock from wolves, they had largely ceased looking for lost sheep. Jesus' warning is stark. They need to repent and turn around, or else Jesus might remove their lampstand. They would cease to exist as a church. No church exists long without witness. It is what the church is for, to witness to Jesus, that the world might glorify Jesus. And this is the challenge, not just for the Ephesians, but for us today. Do we love Jesus so fervently that we live to make him known, to tell the world about his gospel? To proclaim the grace that frees us from sin by his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead? Or has our love grown cold? It is a daunting task, but Jesus encourages us. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. The tree of life! That blessed tree that our first parents had access to in the Garden of Eden the faithful in Christ who maintain their love and witness through this dark world will eat of that life-giving fruit once again. And if that's so, what do we have to fear from any person on earth? Until next time.